0: Hello and welcome to Strictly Political for episode 3, A Proportional Response. I'm Matthew Bryan, joined as always by the wonderful Mason Kennedy. How are you doing, Mason? I'm doing great and I'm happy to be here, Matt. That's that's good to hear. Um, before we jump into the episode, it's time for a little bit more um, feedback slash old business, which at this point is just... Um, me learning how to pronounce one person's name because it turns out I pronounced it wrong a different way on episode two. So the man who directed episode one and two, who is an executive producer of the show, his name, I, I believe, it's pronounced Slammy. I believe that is finally the third time, third time's the charm. Um, you know, I think I've got it right this time. His name is his name is pronounced Thomas Slammy, I believe. So now. You know, we could all rest better knowing that I finally have learned how to pronounce this one man's name just in time for him not to actually direct this episode. So that's good.
1: That's perfect. And I just hope that if Thomas Slammy does listen to this podcast, uh, he listens until episode three, at least, uh, to to see that you got it right.
0: Right. Especially because I I was so confident last episode that I was like, I've got I've learned how to pronounce this man's name. And then unfortunately I did not, but, uh, you know, hopefully that is the last time we have to discuss how to pronounce this one individual guy's name, because I don't think, I think he only directs two episodes. So we're done talking about him, I think. So, (laughs) you know, fingers crossed. We don't have to worry about that anymore, but, uh, yes, Thomas Slammy directed episodes one and two, not any of the other ways I pronounced it. All right. Well, with, with, with that wonderful, uh, thing out of the way, um, so yeah, so Season 1, Episode 3, uh, entitled A Proportional Response, directed by Mark Buckland, uh, written by Aaron Sorkin. This originally aired October 6th, 1999. Um, so yeah, what are your overall thoughts on, on uh, Episode 3 here?
1: Episode 3 is a perfect example of a lot of the stuff that we were talking about last time, and that makes sense because it is a response to the previous episode. This very much is a... Uh, continuation of a lot of the same uh, themes and, by extension, a lot of the same uh, controversy, in my opinion, that the the episode 2 offered. And so, we'll get into it a little bit later, but this is, at times, a scary episode. This is a, an episode that goes to show exactly how powerful the President of the United States is, uh, and that if those powers are not treated with the Uh, regard that they deserve a lot of stuff can end up happening so that that's kind of the gut reaction that i have to this episode
0: no i I think i think you're absolutely right that it's you realize like how important it is to have somebody that you trust their judgment in these positions of power right and that what happens if they're acting irrationally right like the president is for most of this episode right he's acting in a very emotional way and that it's it's scary right again you, you don't want the guy with the with the nuclear codes to to be acting acting you know anything, anything other than 100 logic right and so i think that that you know you know again shows right because i think you know we tend to in general think of the people that are in these positions to power as you know the office first right but there's the, still a person first right and that that can be scary and i think that's a theme that you know we'll sort of touch on as we go throughout this show right is that even these people who are have immense power are still people and still have sort of human reactions, and that that can be scary. That can be, you know, concerning. Right. I think that the, that's sort of a a dive into this episode. Um, but yeah, let's let's jump into it. The the cold open, um, you know, starts with uh, another great little Josh and Donna scene. Um, you know, Donna comes to to meet Josh at the door to tell him that that, that CJ is looking for him and you know it's just a, a great great playful banter with them about you know Don is trying to use this opportunity to like ask for a raise because um you know Josh says you know everything and she's like well then like why don't I why don't I get paid more and it just kind of ties in a little bit I think to what we were talking about about last episode right of that the, the people and their assistants are at different socioeconomic levels right you know like when Mandy, you know, loses her only client. She's fine, but that her assistant, you know, is going to maybe struggle to make rent. And this is sort of similar to that. Right. And that, you know, Donna wants to be paid more. She wants to be taken a little more seriously. And she's sort of holding in the information she has over Josh hostage, hostage in this situation. Right. Cause she knows why CJ's looking for him. And she's like, well then like, you know, why don't you recommend I get a raise? And I think it's a fun scene. It kind of shows a lot of the Donna character and her relationship with Josh. Um,
1: yeah, I would agree with that. I think that overall, this is very strong, cold, open with the interactions between Josh and Donna, and then uh, it continues on. I mean, we learn a lot about all the characters that are presented here, uh, and just kind of like uh, what they need and what they you know are wanting to get out of this job at the White House.
0: Yeah. Um, and then ultimately, Josh, Josh realizes that CJ's looking for him because she has she's figured out Sam's secret right again like like we said in the last episode it's not it wasn't going to stay a secret for very long you know Sam went into the club and he you know announced who he was and where he works and he threatened to you know get the get the US attorney on the case and so it's like it wasn't going to stay secret forever and it turns out it you know just you know w- one episode later right CJ's learned what's going on and she's she's mad that she's out of the loop right and so Josh realizes this so he's like I'm going to I'm going to go, you know, basically he's going to hide from CJ, right? He tells Donna to tell CJ he's at the dentist. Um I really like his quote here where he says, "I'm going to go devise a strategy because I'm a professional, I'm not a little boy," which I just think is like very emblematic of the Josh character, right? That he's like, you know, insists on being taken seriously, but he's, you know, a little bit of a goof sometimes, right? And this said he's you know kind of hi- trying to hide from his problems. Um, and then another great uh, Sorkin-esque reveal to end this cold open, which is that CJ has been in his office the whole time, and she has the great quote where she says, boy, don't you look stupid, as, as Josh walks in. And I think it's just a great, a great uh, you know, concise cold open that's very funny, but really advances the plot, and you, you know, the stakes have definitely changed in terms of the, you know, situation with Sam from the end of last episode
1: absolutely and I think we see a lot more of uh, Sam spiraling in this episode I think this is kind of just the start of that situation but uh, Sam only gets a, worse from here really as the episode goes on
0: yeah um, yeah. then then after the credits we see um, Josh and CJ talking and they're both you know pretty angry at each other right you know CJ's angry that you know, everybody basically kept her out of the loop, right? That that Sam knew, and you know, obviously Sam knew, and then he told Josh, and then he told Toby, but nobody ever told CJ. And then, you know, Josh is kind of angry because CJ's angry at him. You know, they go, and they're talking, and they meet Toby, and, and the, the, the CJ's bad at Toby. Uh, to, Toby has, I think, a great line where he says, how the hell did I get in trouble? And Josh's response is, today all you had to do is get out of bed, and I think that that's, you know, emblematic of, you know, sort of how sort of under siege they are. Right. That it's like, you know, Toby just like, you know, I mean, Toby was like angry at Sam, but, but then like, you know, now CJ's painting him in sort of the same brushes like, Oh, you were hiding this from me. Right. And, you know, Toby's like, wait, wait, what happened? Like, w- when did I get part of this cover up? Right. And, you know, it's just, well, no, well, you just, you got it in bed today. Right. Like today, today's just a, a rough day. Right. That it's You know, day three of this crisis with Syria, and, you know, now they know that, you know, now the Sam news is coming out, right? So it's just like, no matter what Toby would have done, somebody would have been mad at him, right? Because it's just, it's just, it's just a really, really rough day, uh, all around, really.
1: Right. And this is one of the situations where I think we see CJ come into her own light more, this being episode three, uh, and, and see that she's just trying to do her job that's what i got from cj throughout the entire episode is that she's upset at these people because she can't fend off the press properly she doesn't have the information that the press is working with uh and uh as we'll learn later that is a viable threat so i i did i did uh sympathize with cj here in being kept in the dark
0: yeah yeah no for for, for sure right that it's like you know if, you, if you're going to hear something bad, you'd love to hear it from the person and not from, you know, whatever third party she heard it from, right? Because it's like the press can hear it the same from that third party also, right? And she says that, to, she says that to, to Josh, right? That she's like, if I could figure it out, like, what makes you think that everybody else couldn't figure it out, right? Then we're introduced to sort of where, where the president's at mentally, right? He's pissed at everybody. Um, you know, Toby was at, was at dinner with him and he was yelling at... Um, the secretary of state and defense. He was yelling at his wife, and ultimately we realize that he's pissed off because it's been three days since the Syrians shot down the the military transport plane, and nothing's happened. Right, that they've been planning sort of their what their what the next step is. They've been debating, you know, how big of an attack it should be. Right, and so because of that, nothing's happened, and the president. You know, believes that um, you know something should have happened by now. Uh, This is also the part in the episode where we're first introduced to the idea that the president uh, has lost his glasses. He can't find his glasses, which will come up, you know, later at the end of the episode. Um, But ultimately, what we really learn in this scene is the president. He's still emotional, right? He ended the last episode very, very emotional, right, saying that he's going to, you know, use use the power of, you know, God's own thunder to to take out the Syrians and he's still, you know, using his emotions. And you really get the sense here that Leo is worried that his emotions are sort of overpowering his ability to use logic and to view the situation logically, which is, you know, obviously quite a concern because, you know, they're the US military is very strong and in theory it could be used for you know, create lots of damage that is, you know, bad, I guess. I don't know. I was trying to find a better word than bad. But, you know, and, you know, it's it's quite a concern, right? Because, you know, all the military leaders are obligated by law to do whatever the president says, right? And so if he tells them to do something, you know, horribly dangerous and destructive, they have to do it, right? And so it's sort of Leo's responsibility as like the, you know, highest ranking civilian, right? To sort of talk the president into using his logic and that, you know, is the the overarching storyline for the president in this episode.
1: Right. And this is, again, where we start to see what has been, over the past two episodes, a relatively reasonable and uh, clear-headed Bartlett uh, turn into someone who, uh, as an extension of the end of the previous episode, is fueled almost entirely by Emotion. At the end of the last episode, he was sleep deprived. Uh, this was a surprise. This was new information to him. So you can understand perhaps that he was being, uh, you know, he was he was acting out of shock and dismay. And now, three days later, he's still riding this emotional wave. And I think that that's where the concern starts to come out. Because when is this going to end? How long is this going to go on? and is he just going to continue maintaining these emotions uh, until he <laughs> salts the earth you know wh- where is the logical conclusion to these emotions
0: yeah no and and, and and the concern right you know that leo specifically says because you know in this scene bartlett says you know it's been three days since they shot him out of the sky and leo says i'd really prefer it if you you know said the airplane or you just said it right because like we don't You know, we don't want people to think that you're doing this just because, you know, your your friend was on the plane, right? or Because you know somebody that was killed, right? That it's like, you know, you need to be thinking about this in a logical way the same way you would if it was any other plane that was shot down, right? Or any other disaster, right? And it's, you know, sort of clear that the president's not thinking that way, right? And so that becomes... A concern because yeah like you said he he has he has the power to 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 to, to, you know kill everybody on the in the earth right and so it's like you don't want him to use that power but if he's not thinking logically he just might end up doing that um then then we get introduced to what sort of the like c or d storyline of this episode which i think is which i think is is quite fun um congressman bertrand coles um he's he is he is mad that the president has um cut down on 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 some some military spending and uh on the radio um he he says that the people in his district are are so patriotic that if the president came and visited uh he might not make it out alive which i think is just you know an an incredibly funny scene especially seeing how how pissed off toby gets right you know as everybody sort of is laughing at this or is like you know oh bertrand coles he's so annoyed and toby's you know pissed off he's like saying oh we should you know call up call up the U.S. attorney you know get get them on the case and everybody's like Toby we can't like you know we can't get people arrested for being mean to the president and Toby's like oh but it's like it's treason and it's conspiracy and it's you know it's just a a a, a fun scene with Toby because you know you can tell that he you know loves being right about everything he loves you know all these things and he doesn't like sort of feeling a little bit powerless like you know like he does when you know Bertrand Coles is allowed to kind of say whatever and take shots at the president, right? And it's, um, you know, a, a, a fun little C storyline in here with with uh, Bertrand Coles threatening to kill the president.
1: Right. I think that this is a story that would get almost no press today. Uh, and I think that's kind of interesting to compare and contrast, right? This, this story of someone wanting to kill the president or, or saying that the people would try to kill the president, again, in this... The, the year 2023, almost 2024. There's hardly any reason to be surprised at at people saying that after we've seen uh, the political environment that has happened over the past, you know, three years. People stormed the Capitol building, right? Like this is nothing, but it is a really funny uh, scene nonetheless. And and the arguably it's barely a news story in the episode, right? That's kind of what Josh uh, and CJ and Leo are all saying is like. This is almost nothing. Nobody really cares yeah. about this. Um, and it's just Toby that's getting so uh, fluffed up about it.
0: Yeah, no. Um, a, a, a great line in this scene is Toby says, There is no law. There is no decency. And Josh says, He's just getting that now. Like, it's just. Right. <laughs> just, just a great scene, right? You know, and I think that, you know, Toby just, you know, sort of overreacts to some of these things, right? Because he he loves to be in power and they're like dude like nobody's gonna care like tomorrow what bertrand coles has to say right like he's like some like backbench congressman right and and it doesn't matter but um you know they to toby toby gets to be mad about it it's it's, it's pretty funny um but then but then uh, toby decides he's gonna screw with the press and so toby um you know walks over to to the press and the press say hey did you hear about about what, what bertrand coles says and he goes sorry i I can't talk about it because the Secret Service won't let me comment on investigations uh, into threats against the president and the press. You know, take that and run with it. I think it's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's a fun thing, right? Of of Toby, you know, knowing exactly what he's doing, right, and sort of you know, pulling one over on the press, right, that they think they're getting this great quote, right, but it's like exactly what Toby wants to, when, wants to feed the press, right? It's Toby finding some way to enact some you know power over the situation right because he hates he hates feeling feeling powerful um you know in terms of or powerless in terms of you know what's going on uh with with the situation um and of course you know it sort of almost backfires though at the end of the episode right that then it becomes more of a news story right whereas if toby would have just ignored it it wouldn't be a news story but again that's sort of i think a theme of the early season one here right is that these people can't leave well enough alone sometimes and get in their own way. And I think Toby does that in this episode, even though it is kind of a fun scene. It's like, is the resulting situation better? I'm not 100% sure, but I don't know.
1: Right. and And to emphasize some of the stuff that you're saying, I was honestly a little bit worried that Toby was going to get bit for this because of the way that he dealt with it. It certainly seems like a situation that under another light, CJ would have been absolutely fuming about considering he's playing with the press and it's something that she's going to have to deal with later. Uh, But in the end, you know, she smiles, pats him on the the back and says uh, essentially that it was a funny thing that he did. So I'm not saying that it's inconsistent, more or less, that uh, it kind of seems like it depends on the day in this administration whether these lighthearted jokes uh, are taken seriously or not. Uh, And that because in this episode, there is so much else going on, well, then it's not the biggest deal in the world that Toby is messing with the press a little bit.
0: Yeah, I I think it sort of is just like, because it's not going to be a news story, just because there's a much bigger news story, right? And so therefore, it's, you know, CJ's able to laugh at it a little bit, right? Whereas if it was hijacking the news story, then, you know, maybe maybe CJ's a little little bit more pissed, right? Um, And I think that that, you know, is something that we can track a little bit as we go on um all right then we get to the scene uh where sam and cj are talking and um this, this is an interesting you talked about sam spiraling i think that this is a good a good sort of evidence point in that um you know that sam is sort of grasping at straws here right that he's saying that he wants to focus on being good versus looking good and he's you know taking his anger at sort of all the situation out at CJ. Right. And, um, you know, Cecilia is making, you know, like you said, she's making a really good point, right? That she's like, I can only do my job if you let me do my job. Right. Like if you tell me everything keep me a hundred percent in the loop, then I can do my job. And then I can, you know, protect you to the best of my ability versus if you hide things from me, then like, I'm going to, be behind. Right. I'm going to be struggling with that. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, Sam is so mad at the situation that he doesn't, um, he doesn't realize, right. That he's like, he's sort of biting off the head of his biggest protector, right. Or the person who in theory could be his biggest protector. Right. This,
1: this episode and uh, this scene in particular go a long way to establish what the roles of each of these people are i think that the first three episodes you're starting to learn about exactly what these people do and where their domains are within the west wing but i think that this episode is really where we start to get things concrete uh for example i had kind of forgotten exactly what josh does at the white house and this episode reminded me uh, of him being the deputy chief of staff and uh, based on the way that he interacts with a lot of the other people, you kind of forget that. You kind of forget that he is number two behind Leo uh, in terms of, you know, chief of staff specifically. Um, and then you look at CJ, uh, as, you know, as the press secretary, uh, and then Toby and Sam being in the speechwriter's uh, office. And so it's just everything's kind of falling into place. And that's all emphasized by the fact that CJ is laying down the law here a little bit and saying that she is the face of this white house, uh, behind perhaps only Jed Bartlett himself. Uh, and is the one that has to deal with all the press. She's the one that knows all the journalists names, knows what they know, uh, or hopes to know what they know. And this situation here is where CJ really needs all the information that she can get to properly defend. I mean, uh, right now it seems like, you know, Sam isn't telling his lawyer, what his alibi is right. and that's the role that cj's playing
0: right yeah no no that i mean that's basically how it is right that it's like your your lawyers trying to find the information the same way that the you know prosecutor is right it's like that's you're not going to have the best defense right versus if you can be 100 percent honest with your lawyer then they can defend you a lot better right and that that that's cj's point and sam is so you know pissed off at the world right that he doesn't he doesn't realize that like oh yeah like that that's actually like the logical thing um, I think another thing in this scene It has a, a really good piece of writing At the end where um, You know CJ says You're a high profile very visible much noticed Member of this administration And then Sam like just to like take a shot at her Says like you just said three things That don't mean the same thing And then later in his big you know angry rant At the end he says you know We're losing the default to the character cops Because you don't have the strength guts or courage To do anything about it and then CJ says strength, guts, and courage. Yeah. You know, you just said three things that all mean the same thing. And I think it was just a, 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 a fun little piece of writing there that shows, you know, like how how you know, Sam is just sort of like being angry and saying all these mean things because he's like pissed off the situation and that he's not again, sort of, sort of similar, you know, you can sort of tie it into the way the president is acting in terms of acting, you know, with his emotions and therefore irrationally, right? And that Sam is sort of doing that with his personal life, right? That he likes Lori and so therefore he's sort of acting in a very irrational way, right? I mean, even just by like going to see her again, but also by like hiding it from CJ and, you know, being angry at her. It's like he's acting very irrationally and you can tell that by the fact that he's, you know, not being 100% articulate here. You know, he's making fun of CJ for repetitive speaking and then doing it himself. I think it just sort of shows, again, like you said, that there's, A level of a downward spiral that we're seeing here right
1: right and i also want to point out that cj is kind of upset at the end of this i mean she dismisses him but it seems like uh you know she's hurt by this interaction with sam and uh, it kind of you know wraps up on that note but i also want to point out a parallel a potential parallel here that uh you know Sam is making fun of CJ, CJ's making fun of Sam for repeating all these three words and then Sam goes and turns around and starts writing a speech with Toby and immediately the the crux upon which they are arguing is which three words to put in a row to emphasize how terrible this attack is. And so a uh, potential parallel there, right? Of, of uh, You know, you want three words to be able to hammer in uh, to make your point uh, and that doesn't stop people from making fun of you for doing it.
0: Alright, then we head to the situation room And we get to meet um, Admiral Fitzwallis uh, He is the the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff He is um, You know, a, a new character that we meet And he He's Laying out that They finally have um, An attack plan that they're going to do t- uh, In retaliation for For Syria knocking out the plane And And um, he starts to explain this. And he says it's a proportional response uh, that they're going to uh, attack some 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 ammo supply areas that the Syrian government's using. They're going to attack a railroad bridge and they're going to attack the Syrian uh, Syrian intelligence headquarters. And you know this this pisses off the president, and he gets to his sort of big speech he gives in the middle, right, where he says, you know, what is the virtue of proportional response? And he views a proportional response as, you know, sort of maintaining the status quo, right? That, you know, these these countries do something that we don't like, you know, they attack Americans and so then we give them an attack that is, you know, proportional and then that doesn't discourage them because it's sort of viewed as the price of doing business, right? That they, you know, talk about in this episode, right? That the Syrians have abandoned these locations because they view them as likely targets for retaliation right and that is sort of the crux of this episode right that president bartlett feels like it's not real justice it's not real vengeance i guess maybe is even better word right for the people that died because the syrians knew what the response was going to be and that is sort of i think the the lesson that needs to be learned in this episode right is that you know the president wishes that he could win all these wars and defeat all of the enemies but, you know, everybody, all the military people there, they know that it's like, that's not possible, right? Like, it's you're, you're not going to beat all the enemies, right? And so you need to act in a way that sort of is in line with international norms, right? And that, you know, other countries are going to judge the way that you act. And there's sort of, you know, morals attached to that. And other countries are going to view it through these moral lenses. So You need to act in a way. That is concise with that but the president he's not at the point yet where he realizes that right and so he's you know so he he gives the 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 joint chiefs the task of coming up with a dis what he calls a disproportional response right a a show of overwhelming force that um, is sort of his way that he thinks he's going to sort of break the cycle of violence here and that's that's his ultimate goal that is you know Pretty misguided in my opinion but that's you know what the president needs to needs to learn in this episode i guess
1: absolutely and this scene epitomizes the fear that i have when it comes to watching this episode because you hear all of these people and and i don't mean to accuse all military people of being bloodthirsty far from it these people are all the level-headed people in the situation they're all the all these generals are sitting here saying you know, this is like the the, the lowest common denominator. This is the, the most simple act of retribution that we can do to show that we saw what happened and we are uh, responding in kind. And then mild-mannered Jed Bartlett turns around, right? And uh, states boldly into all of these people in the room that it's not enough. Yeah. And that, in fact, we need to... <laughs> Um, you know, God's own thunder them essentially, and so it really does go a long way to show that you know this president is an emotional man, and that most likely all presidents are emotional people, right? Uh, we later on, um, we we hear a line about how this is his first time; it's almost uh, you know, virginal in his in his actions here, and that this is his first. Big military response, and that it's going to be hard for anybody. But even then, you have to wonder, you know, if this is the if this is the emotion that this can evoke, then <laughs> should he be in charge at all?
0: Yeah, no, no. I, I I think that's definitely right. That you know that there's definitely a certain naivety, right? That he's like, you know, I can be the president who breaks the cycle of violence in the Middle East. It's like, well probably not, right? Like this is like there's a lot of reasons why there's conflict in that region and you're not going to solve it by just like, you know, bombing Damascus. You know, you drop enough bombs, you'll you know, create Middle East peace, right? It's like that's not possible, but that, you know, because he's he's sort of new to this. This is his first, you know, Middle East crisis of his presidency that he's like, well, like why has anybody thought of just like you know dropping all the bombs and it's like well like because that's like a stupid idea right like you know that's why nobody thought of it but but you know he he sort of thinks he's creating this this, this new revolutionary idea right and that's you know again a, a, an issue right of like you know why you want experienced people why you want people using their logic right and not what we get here you know and so You know, definitely something that that would be concerning if, you know, you found out that the president was acting like this, actually. So, you know, luckily we get that changed a little bit in the episode. Uh, But before we get there, uh, we meet Charlie Young, who is absolutely my favorite character on this show. Um, What are your what are your initial thoughts on, on Charlie as we meet him in this episode?
1: The moment I saw him, I was a bit confused by his introduction because in my heart, Charlie has been here all along and suddenly he's being introduced as if he's a new character. And I have to remind myself, uh, that one of, if not also my favorite character in the show, uh, is in fact being introduced for the first time. I adore Charlie. I think this introduction goes a long way, uh, to introducing who he is as a person, Uh, We are led to sympathize with him. We are led to root for him. And the whole time he is humble, he is kind, uh, and he is dismissive almost of this opportunity before him because he doesn't think that he is ready for it. Um, Of course, we know otherwise as the viewer. But uh, I, I love the way that he is constantly uh trying to get back to that simple messenger job. He wants more than anything uh to be sent back to his previous interview. Uh and he keeps asking anybody who will listen how he can get back there. Uh he's humble, he's kind, and this introduction goes a long way to showing that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So so the backstory here with Charlie is that he applied to be to be a bike messenger for the White House and um ultimately the the personnel office person um was sort of tasked by Josh to to keep an eye out for somebody to be the president's personal assistant and she picked Charlie uh and again obviously you know a good pick because you know Charlie's great and obviously excels at his job but Charlie doesn't get that he's like he's like, he's like well I played to be a messenger and Josh's like yeah this is a better job and Charlie's like Oh, is the messenger job like full? Like, I can come back later? And it's like no. Like, this is this is actually a much better job, Charlie. Like, you're gonna get like paid more, and you don't have to like ride your bike around town. And He's like, you know, um, okay, but like, I'll, I'll just go now. And they're like, no, Charlie. <laughs> like, you know, like 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 this, this is a good job, and you know, we think that you'll do well in it. Um, I like, I like um, that. You know, he comes in and he's like. Charlie, you can sit. And Charlie's like, no, I'll stand. And then Josh is like, Char- Charlie, please sit. And then he tries, like, I'm going to go. And he like gets up and then Josh is talking to Donna. He goes, Charlie, you're standing again. <laughs> it's just, you know, <laughs> just just like a, a, a great scene, right, of Charlie, you know, is in a little bit over his head here. I think there's a, a, a little bit later, right, where um, Josh is talking to Leo and he says, that, that Charlie would be articulate if he wasn't scared out of his wits, which is just like a great line. Like, like this guy is smart, but he's just like a little overwhelmed, right? Um, another great line here from Josh is he says, "Wow, oh, look at these transcripts. Your grades are better than mine. Well, not really, but they're close, <laughs> which is just like a funny, right. funny, funny line from Josh there. Um, and then ultimately at the end of this scene, we learn um, the backstory, which is, Charlie is, is not in college because he needs to work to support his sister uh, because his mom died. And, you know, again, like you said, it makes him much more of the sort of rootable underdog, right? Is that not only is he, you know, just sort of an everyman coming into this White House, but he's an everyman who has, you know, put his his future on hold to support his sister and, you know, has a mother who's who's died and who... You know sort of ties into you know one of the administration's big things they're fighting for which is gun control right you know so i think that it you know is, is, is really sort of the perfect backstory i think for charlie right as just a guy who instantly you sympathize with him instantly you're like this guy is the number one you know sort of rooting interest on this show and also like ties perfectly into like he's personally affected by a major policy decision that this administration is going to be fighting for in this first season. And so therefore, is just like the perfect character.
1: Agreed. Not only is Charlie deeply sympathetic, but he is also more than Sam, more than Josh, the pure everyman in this series. Because unlike those two, he hasn't been through state elections. He hasn't been through regional elections. He, he is fresh from the street. He doesn't know how things work. He's, uh, you know, bushy-tailed and bright-eyed and ready to start. And he knows just about as much about the Jeb Bartlett administration as any of us viewers. So I think um, more than most, he is kind of the character that we will see ourselves in.
0: Yeah, well, and I think that this is like flashing ahead to like season four or something when we learn this. But we learn later that he is the only member of the main cast that attended a public school and you know he 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 at this point you know doesn't have a college degree right and so it's like everybody else is like you know private school educated and went to you know ivy league colleges and you know the president has a master's degree from the london school of economics and you know josh has a law degree from yale and all right matthew here in from the editing room to correct my own factual error at this time actually I know crazy who thought that I could be wrong about something. Um, in here, I said that um, President Bartlett uh, is League educated. That's not true. He was uh, canonically accepted into Harvard and Yale, but he chose to attend a University of Notre Dame because he was considering becoming a Catholic priest. Um, also, I say that he has a master's degree from London School of Economics. He has both a master's degree and a doctorate from the London School of Economics, which I had forgotten. So, there you go. President Bartlett, not technically Ivy League educated, but is a doctor. Back to the show. And all of these things, right? And, you know, whereas Charlie is like a guy who has a high school education from a Washington, D.C. public school, right? And it's like, okay, that guy is much more relatable to the average viewer than like, you know, Sam, who's a Princeton-educated lawyer, right? And I think that that allows you to have somebody that they can explain things to, that they can, you know, in a way that things that need to be explained to the audience, right? As of, Whereas, you know, okay, all these all these other people, they should know all these things, right? And so that allows Sam to be, or Charlie to be a, you know, sort of viewer standing in a lot of these situations, which I think makes you like him even more, like you were saying, right? That he is definitely you know the everyman right that like in episode two you know josh is kind of like you know the dumb one in some ways because he you know had to work really hard to go to yale right like that 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 makes him the stupid one of the group right you know versus you know charlie can come in and be much more immediately relatable to everybody um all right then 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 we get back to the um back to the situation room and this is just my, my favorite quote of the episode it doesn't really make sense in the context but it's incredibly funny um president bartlett comes in and he says there's a delegation of cardiologists up in the blue room getting their picture taken you wouldn't think you could find a group of people more arrogant than the 15 of us but there they are up in the blue room like i don't know why they put this line in but it's incredibly funny and so i had to shout it out um I'm glad the president hates doctors as much as I do. That's my big take is I hate doctors and I'm glad the president agrees with me here on, on this. Sure. And I
1: think it does go a long way to show that through everything, uh, the president still has a sense of humor, even though he's spiraling in emotional turmoil and wanting to kill half of the people in the, you know, the middle East, he's still (laughs) going to make a joke about the uh, boring meeting that he just had in the blue room.
0: Yeah. um, so then then we get we get Fitz, he he introduces the the president to um, the sort of overreacting military option, um, which is they're going to they're going to attack um, uh, an airport and, you know, Fitz gives a great speech where he says, like, you know, not only is this going to have all these civilian casualties, but it will be viewed by the international community as an overreaction If we do this without a coalition without you know japan without england without all these people like it's gonna severely affect our ability to get anything done internationally right as well as also it's gonna you know have untold you know human cost right um and you know then then he says you know hey if we do the proportional response it still gives us options later right if we decide later we need to do more we could do more right but you can never Go back and do less, right? If you, you know, destroy this airport and kill hundreds of thousands of civilians, you can't sort of unring that bell, right? Versus if you want to, you know, come back and say, actually, you know, in a month, two months, three months, it makes sense to attack this airport. You can do that, right? But you can't, if you regret it in three months, you can't unattack the airport, right? That's not possible. And I think that that ultimately seems to sort of be the argument that finally. Breaks through the emotions in, into the logic for the president, right? That he goes, okay, like you know, what I'm doing isn't necessarily the last thing I'm going to do on this, right? It's just it's the first response, right? Is we're going to respond, and then they're gonna, maybe they're going to respond, and then we can respond to that, right? And that there it is sort of a cycle of violence, right? But that's better than like an all-out war, right? And that that you know sort of is what the president learns. Um, One of the things that I think that we can track through as we go through this series is the president has a very interesting relationship with smoking Uh, in this scene. Before he makes his decision, um, he asks for a cigarette and he, he starts smoking as he makes his final decision. And I think it's interesting to watch, like, what are the situations in which the president starts smoking and how does that hint at or say something about his his mental state in those times?
1: Right. It is interesting to see what drives him to smoke a cigarette. And obviously, uh, with his wife being a doctor, as we'll learn later, it's something that, uh, you know, he can't necessarily do all the time. But uh, perhaps that is one of the added benefits of having a situation room yeah. is that in these stressful times, he, he is free to light up
0: yeah i guess i guess you know whatever sort of therapy it gives him right you know maybe it's good at the saints right because ultimately um he he chooses a proportional response i think this scene was shot very well as all the you know generals and the admirals and all the intelligence people are sitting there like very tense and then the president gives the go order and they all sort of you know breathe a sigh of relief right that they're you know because again like they legally have to do whatever the president says right and so they're you know there's even if they think hey it's a 10% chance the president's going to do something you know crazy and stupid like that's still pretty scary right like they still have to follow through on it right and they're going to be responsible for whatever you know bad thing happens right and so I think that it was a a great scene to watch all the people like you know finally breathe this breathe a sigh of relief right of like Okay, like we can do it, you know. We can, you know, we're gonna be fine, right? We're gonna, we're gonna survive. Um,
1: I think, um, and and I'll talk about this more at the end, I suppose. But this episode also goes a long way to show how competent a lot of the people in the White House are. I don't mean to to suggest that the first two episodes made everybody appear to be bumbling idiots, but uh, it didn't necessarily suggest that they weren't. There are were a lot of scenes in the first two episodes where people were. You know, complaining about, oh, they didn't know what they were doing, or they, you know, they were confused, or they looked, you know, uh, nervous, or anything like that, including, you know, many of the main characters. But a lot of the times in this uh, episode, we see Toby and Sam writing a speech. We see them doing their job, and we see them really thinking it over and doing it well. We see Josh in action mode. We see CJ in action mode. Uh, And we see here that the Chiefs just. Uh, Staff or sorry the generals uh, Kind of ready to do exactly What's going on being serious doing Their job and doing it well so I think this episode goes a long way to show Not only as I mentioned earlier Establish what their jobs are but Show them doing them and show them that There's a reason that these people are in the White House
0: right and I think that this Episode more than the other two Really has a sort of You know ending That is a is a pr- pretty un- unambiguously positive ending right you know whereas obviously episode two ends with the the plane getting shot down whereas this episode it's like everything kind of works out at the end of this episode right and that's because everybody does their job pretty much to perfection right i mean you know the president is sort of you know almost the the antagonist in this episode in some ways and you know everybody sort of you know the the Joint Chiefs of Staff give a presentation that makes him understand the logic of the situation. Leo kind of, you know, we'll get this a little later, but Leo talks him, you know, down off the ledge a little bit. And it's like, at the end of the day, the president makes the right decision. And, you know, all's well that ends well, to to some extent in this episode, right? We're back with with Josh and Charlie. And, um, you know, Charlie and... Charlie and Josh are talking about the, the questionnaire and, you know, Sam, Sam stops in and, you know, Josh is trying to ask these questions, you know, about, about, you know, Hey, what's your personal life? Like, and Sam steps in, and this sort of is related earlier to his conversation with CJ, right? That he doesn't like that. They're sort of, you know, what he what he calls the character cops, right. Are, are coming in and he's saying like, you know, Charlie, like don't answer these questions. Like you don't have to, doesn't matter what your personal life is. doesn't matter any of these things, right? You know, and it's sort of him projecting a little bit of his own situation, right? That he wishes people didn't care about his personal life. And so he's trying to tell Charlie, like, you don't, don't talk about yours because it's not important. But like, as we'll learn, right? Like it, the optics of these things are very important, right? Even if everybody wishes they weren't, right?
1: Right. And again, Sam is spiraling very hard at this point. And... Uh, This scene, I mean, he's borderline conspiratorial here where not only is he uh, asking the joking question perhaps of why isn't Charlie trying to take down the White House or or attack the White House, but why uh, isn't Charlie suing the White House and uh, offering to defend or offering to uh, represent him as a lawyer? So, you know, uh, Sam is going all out on this, what seems to be almost a, a whim
0: yeah, no and 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 that you can tell that he's sort of he's fighting his own battle and he sort of sees it as, as another front, right? Of just like, well, hey, if I can sort of, you know, protect Charlie from this injustice happening to me and it's like, well, you know, I don't I don't, I don't, I don't know about that. Um but yeah, then then Leo brings everybody in um to to sort of discuss the military strike, right? He says, "Hey, do you know, Sam Toby I need you guys to work on this on the speech you know you're sort of get the details you know CJ I need you to go to the to to to, to the television networks and tell them we're going to have a white house or a Oval Office address um, you know basically you know this sort of you know Leo sort of rallying the troops right is it because you know with the military stuff the civilian staff don't get to know until sort of the last second right and so with like two hours to go or whatever it is, I forget exactly how long they say on the episode, right? This is when they get they get to be brought in and, you know, it sort of shows, right, that their job can sort of exist on a, on a pretty big time crunch sometimes, right? Of just like, oh, you got to go write this speech and you have like two hours to do it because, you know, you're not allowed to know until two hours before the public knows, right? And that sort of is a, a hurdle of the job, right, that we'll see, I think, throughout this series, right, of like... How much work needs to be done in a very very short period of time sometimes right but that's why you know again like you said they're showing the competence of, of sam and toby though right of how quickly they go and they just go right to work and just crank out a speech that is you know in universe received very well right
1: right we uh we see these people really going through the full you know extent of their responsibilities uh and we see them you know scheduling meetings feeling questions uh you know um writing speeches all with limited knowledge of the things that they're working around so i i, I agree with you there at the end as well
0: yeah um then um we got we got i think leo's best line of the episode where cj says what do i tell the press and leo says don't tell them anything and she says they're going to wonder what all the fuss is about and leo just says like very menacingly, he says so let's so let's not let there be any fuss, all right? It's like, just like, you know, back to sort of Leo as a mob boss from episode two, right? Of just him being like, well, you know, if they're going to react to anything we do, like, let's not do anything, let us react, right? And it just shows, that like, you know, again, how, how difficult CJ's job can be because she's around the press, you know, at least half of her day, right, is involved directly with the press, whether it's at a briefing or having these people in her office or seeing them in the hallway. But she has to kind of have her mask up all the time, right, because they can't know everything she knows. And like that seems like a very hard job, right, to work in the press office, I think, right? Because like most of the people that you see every day are sort of not your friends, right? And that they're people that, you know, in theory, right, would would sort of, you know, be almost an antagonist to you, right? And that, that again you know, CJ CJ does a great job in this episode, right? Again, which is why, like you said, a very, very competent episode from CJ because, you know, she's able to, you know, nobody in the press realizes what's going on until until the end, basically, right? And that that's because CJ is doing a great job.
1: Right, and to your point earlier, uh, Toby, Josh, Sam, you know, Donna, even all these people that work in the, In the press wing here are constantly walking past journalists that are looking for a story that are paid better when they get a more exciting story potentially out of these people um and cj uh no nobody more than cj you know is constantly under that uh siege essentially from the press and so the way that they are able to uh, the, the pressure more so even than their ability to overcome it is something that's quite daunting Uh, and the way that they are uh, you know always there's always a journalist around and and few other workplaces offer that kind of uh you know uh constant underlying danger and the bartlett administration has it and any president uh, you know has that kind of you know there at all times just because of the way that we balance the office
0: right right and that it is like you know because again, the press oftentimes can be antagonistic, right? And so it's like, yeah, you don't often have your antagonist, isn't allowed to like walk around your work, you know? Right? Like, you know, at my job, there's nobody that like hates me that's like walking around, right? Or nobody that can gain financially from like screwing me over, right? Whereas, like, in the White House, one of the few places in the world where you're, you know, the people that have an incentive maybe to, you know, do something unfair to you or, you know, Take, take the worst things and run with it, right? It's like, well, they work, you know, 100 feet away from you, right? Like they're, the, you could probably see their office from your office, you know, for, for your CJ, right? And so it's like, that's a very interesting dynamic that I think, you know, especially when you're getting, you're trying to keep a secret, right? Even if it's just for two hours, right? You're trying to keep the secret of that, hey, we're doing a military strike in Syria. And again, this ties in also, right? That they're trying to keep the secret about Sam, right? It's like, they're trying to keep that secret, for a lot longer than two hours Right and so it's like Is it going to come out and if it's going to come out You know how How is the damage going to be Right and I think that that You know you sort of hinted at that um, Then uh, as they all leave uh, Josh stays behind To talk to Leo and they have What is sort of a, an, an interesting uh, conversation About, about, about race um, In case anybody is you know like our like one of our top fans uh, matt stewart uh, he's always one of, our, one of our top fans who has not actually seen this show because you know that's a thing people can do listen to us talk for an hour and a half about a show you haven't seen uh if you don't know charlie charlie is black and that leads to an interesting conversation that that josh and leo have about race right because the job that they're hiring charlie for to be the president's personal assistant it's like a a job that requires a smart person but a lot of the public facing aspects of the job is you know carrying the president's briefcase holding the door for him you know carrying his coat all these things right and so josh has some concern about the way that that will sort of be viewed optically right of having 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 a young black man sort of be the president's you know caddy almost right and i think that that's an interesting dynamic that you know I didn't think of when I was watching this the first time, but then the more you think about it, you're like, oh, that that is a potentially potentially a concern, right? And it ties into the overall focus on optics that this episode has, right? Right. This
1: is this conversation is a representation of exactly what we were talking about just before, in that the press, uh, and you know, not necessarily the bigger uh, the bigger offices, but many of the smaller papers that are more ready to print whatever they want to get views, might be jumping at an opportunity like this to, uh, you know, say that the visuals of something are less than perfect. And if someone chose to look at it through this kind of darker light or more insidious light, uh, perhaps that is something that they would come, that, that, that is a conclusion they would come to with Charlie being in this role um well, well, and, and yeah
0: and I, th- I think i think to 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 be fair right there is sort of you know in segregation in this country there, there there's a long history right of like you know for example like augusta national where the masters is held right you know for years and years and years right all the golfers were were white it was a whites only club but you know every single caddy there was black right and so there's definitely there is historical racism that is true right but that you know there's a concern, right, that people are going to sort of use these legitimate concerns about racism to, you know, smear the president, right, or to smear the White House for, for, for doing this, right? I think that that is, you know, an, an, an interesting thing to focus on, right, of, of these people who are going to sort of use, you know, concerns about racism to, you know, hit the president over the head with this, right, which I think is an interesting thing.
1: No doubt. And there's definitely a lot of uh, historic precedence, you know, to deal with this or or, or that deals with this. And I think that that's Josh's job, right, is to be mindful of these things uh, so that the press doesn't get, you know, this free, you know, piece of artillery to throw at the White House. Uh, But, yeah, I do think, you know, again, it's something where it's like when you watch this, you didn't necessarily think about that. But that is exactly the the point, right, is that. There are some people that aren't going to think about it at all, and there are some people that are going to be uh, deeply mindful of it.
0: Yeah. Um, then, um, then uh, Fitz comes into the office, and there's there, there's a, an interesting uh, interaction between Fitz and Josh here, where Josh says, a "Tough day, Admiral," and Fitz's response: "It'll be a lot tougher on them than on us." I think that that's an interesting line because, like, yeah, like the victims of this war are not the you know american generals sitting in the white house right the victims are going to be the people in syria that are going to be killed right the victims are you know if the syrians didn't choose to retaliate and attack you know an american embassy or something right like whatever right like like the victims of war aren't these generals right and as hard as it can be and as difficult as it is right it's like there's these guys aren't the real victims i think it was interesting to have fitz kind of spell that out for us in this episode
1: well okay i I have two parts about that line one i think that i I agree with you but i also think it was a more broad you know like the american the the america as a whole has had a tough day perhaps and syria as a whole will have a much worse day because of it Um, And it does seem, it speaks to the title of the episode as a proportional response, like they are, you know, turning things around and destroying, you know, aside from lives, potentially they are destroying more than what Syria destroyed by attacking the plane. Uh, But then more, even more so, the line that stuck out to me in this scene was not, um, not his line, not the, it'll be, you know, tougher on them than it was on us, um, but Josh's line when he he has a one-word response as he walks out, he just says, good. And that, again, speaks to this this, um, 90s-era, you know, Sorkin kind of mindset uh, that we talked a little bit about last time, this, like, kind of castle doctrine, righteous fury that people are allowed to have when something like this happens. And that Josh, as this... You know, Yale-educated lawyer, uh, you know that works in the White House, that has has gone to private schools his entire life. He is justified in wishing for the demise of these people uh, because they attacked America as a whole. So he can, much like the president, he can feel, uh, you know, that he is that he is okay in doing that. He is vilified, and he is, you know, right to wish the fury upon these people because they have attacked america and they have killed people when obviously the situation is much more nuanced than that and and there are many things that we could talk about there but it just seems like such a quick thing for him to say to to immediately say oh well it's good that they're going to have a terrible day like it's good that we're going to destroy these targets it's good that some people are going to die uh because you know one of our planes was taken down
0: yeah, well, it's like we talked about a little bit last episode, right? That it's sort of vengeance versus justice, right? And that the idea that, you know, yeah, there, there, there is some justice in responding to an injustice, right? That if, you know, if, you know, you're attacked unprovoked, there is some level of defense that is, that is justified, right? But this idea of like, oh, but it's good to, you know, come in and wreak havoc and that's this positive. It's like, that's like much more of like a vengeance mindset, right? Of like, i'm angry so therefore i'm going to do violence right you know josh feels like he is a victim in this there's some truth to that right but it's like again the real victims are the people that are actually dying right the real victims are you know the people that are further destabilized because the u.s is you know fighting against their government right and so it's like you know i don't know there's several levels to this and you know i think the will we could explore some of these themes as we go throughout but i think i think you're definitely right that it's um you know, a little bit of an outdated, an outdated opinion, right? That I think, you know, in, in a post-Iraq War America, I think that this is an opinion that is much less of a popular opinion than it was, you know, whatever October of, of ninety nine when this episode came out. Um, right. Then, then after Josh leaves, um, Leo and Fitz have a little bit of a conversation about race, because again, for 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 our good friend Matt Stewart, who has not seen the show. Uh, Admiral Fitzwallis is also black, and so um, Leo Leo asks Fitz. He says, "Hey, like, do you have a problem with a young black man waiting on the president?" And Fitz has a great response where he says, "Hell, I'm an old black man, and I and I wait on the president, right?" And then, you know, he goes into you know uh, his sort of interesting point that he makes where he says, "Like, hey, are you going to pay him well? Are you going to treat him with respect? Are you going to, you know," I forget, you know, I think he has one other thing, right? And Leo goes, yeah. And then Fitz goes, he's like, okay, then great. Like, you should give this guy a job, right? If you're going to, like, pay him decently, you're going to, you know, treat him with respect, you're going to give him opportunities, right? Like, then, like, you know, it's sort of almost if you choose not to give him the job, like, you're almost not doing it because of his race, right? If you think this guy's qualified and you think that he'd do a good job and you would, you know, treat him properly, right? Then it's like, then if you don't give him the job, like, the only reason you're not is because of his race, right? Like that's almost like worse racism than like having a black guy carry his back, right? And I think that that was an interesting point that Fitz makes and he says, you know, I'm out here fighting the real battles. I don't have time for the cosmetic ones. I think that's, that, that, that was an interesting line that I think sort of ties in together all the themes of the episode, right? Is that, you know, they're kind of focused on, you know, how all these things look, right? And finally, this is something where they can just Do the right thing, hire the guy they want for the job, despite what the, um, you know, optics might be right. Or despite what the worst interpretation of the optics might be. Right.
1: And to emphasize your point, this whole episode is centered around the idea of optics versus, you know, um, revenge, right. Or, or even just optics versus real true action. And we see very clearly that, uh, you know, there are priorities within the white house, and sometimes the people on this press team eat, lean more toward optics than they do toward uh, the real action, and this was kind of a realigning of uh, uh, of those priorities.
0: Yeah, and this is like, okay, you know, no. Sometimes the optics, sometimes the you know, as Sam calls them, the character cops, right? Sometimes they win, but at least on this, right? You know, Charlie, this guy who, you know, we've we've seen him in two scenes. But we, you know we already love him right it's like okay he gets he gets the job that he deserves right because you know finally the the you know we're not going to worry about what the worst people among us are going to think right um then um before we end this this scene we get um another great line here from from fitz he says uh presidents don't make new friends that's why they got to hang on to the old ones um, it's just a you know great line of just sort of like you know how hard the job is right and how the stress can get, right? And Barlett is sort of acting irrationally, right? And it's like, hey, he's not going to make any new friends, but like that's why you got to be there. Be, be his old friend, right? You know, like it's not, you know, it, it, it doesn't work if you um, you know, you know, you got to do it if it's basically, you know, reassures Leo, hey, it's his first time, he's doing good for his first time and, you know, he made the right decision and that's all that matters, right? It doesn't matter if he was close to making a bad decision, if it was a, you know, 50-50 shot or whatever. It's like what matters is he made the right decision, and you know at the end of the day, it worked out, right? Then, um, we're introduced to a lot of characters, new important characters in this episode, right? We we meet Charlie, obviously, who's a main character. We meet Fitz, who's you know a very important character. We also are introduced to uh to, to Danny Mc who's uh who's a uh, a, a reporter, and uh, he's he's waiting outside of of CJ's office, and you know. CJ initially thinks that he's trying to get information on, on Syria and then Danny says like hey I've I I've, am hearing about Sam and a girl like why don't you talk why do you Why do you invite me into into your office and so Danny and Danny Danny and CJ uh, head into her office and you know we realize that that Danny has has learned CJ's or learned learned Sam's secret right presumably from the same sort of sources that that CJ's learned
1: Right. And uh, this is, I, I just want to jump in here and say that this and this whole episode are an interesting representation of the journalists in the White House. And I i don't want to put it on the scale of, you know, uh, maybe uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, for example. But there is something to be said about the way that West Wing depicts journalists as and we talked about it even earlier right we uh that almost scavengers right there are these kind of uh plotting uh villains at times that are represented as you know trying to trying to trick the white house the the pious white house into having stories written about them and and that the white house much like the police officers in brooklyn 99 the The Bartlett administration is always right; they're always uh the ones doing the good thing, and therefore journalists uh who are going against that clearly uh play something of an antagonist and that we should be opposed to them. but there's a reason that the press is often uh you know referred to as the fourth branch of the government the fourth uh you know the fourth ring in this balancing act of of our uh representatives and it's because their job is to make sure that these people are doing the right thing uh they they are the watchdog is the 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 term that we learned in my journalism classes they are the gatekeepers they are the watchdogs they are the fourth branch and their job is to make sure that these people are doing their jobs uh and so it's funny at times the way that you know danny isn't necessarily a villain but he says there are other people yeah. you know there are other people out there who are, and well, this whole episode and this whole series does a does a very strange job. That's all I'm, well, I'll say. They do a very strange job of representing the press.
0: Yeah, well, I think it's specifically also like you know um, we could jump ahead to to, to the other Danny and DJ scene just because those are just two of them and there's only one scene in between that you know Danny almost is sort of the like you know I'm not like other girls kind of guy. He, he's not he's not like other reporters, right? He's 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 a good guy, right? And that, you know, I mean, specifically he says, like, I'm not going to pursue this story because, like, I'm a good guy, right? And that it's like, you know, the implication there, right, is that in general the media are not good people, right? And that Danny is, you know, the exception, um, which is sort of interesting. But yeah, ultimately Danny basically says, like, I don't have enough for a story and I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's, you know, basically I don't think it's worth it to keep pursuing this, right? Like, you know, he, he trusts when, when CJ says, like, there's nothing there. And, you know, CJ basically is pretty open and honest with Danny, right? She says, like, would my life be a lot easier if Sam didn't, wasn't friends with this girl? Yes, but he is, so I have to deal with it. And Danny basically says, like, I'm going to drop the story, but I want you to know that, like, if I can find this out, so can everybody else. And you're going to have to deal with this at some point. Um and again you know sort of again kicking the can down the road a little bit with this story right that it's not going to be resolved this episode it's going to continue right you know and eventually somebody will somebody's going to break the story right and that that's sort of the sort of Damocles hanging over Sam and ultimately hanging over the entire administration um and then uh, ultimately CJ um gives Danny a, you know, 50-minute head start, you know, which she, again, she kind of ties back to what he said earlier. She says, like, oh, I'll give you this, you know, 50-minute head start, again, because you're such a good guy, right? And, you know, again, it's it, it's, it's an, an interesting scene and an interesting storyline that we'll see with Danny and, you know, what he represents as a part of the media, but also as sort of like the, you know, pick me of the media in some ways.
1: Right. No, he definitely does play the. He's quote one of the good ones, right? Yeah. And and it's interesting to see him contrasted against the rest of them.
0: Well, especially you know you know Billy from the pilot, right? Of Billy or Billy is you know being kind of dishonest and you know hunting around for a story and sort of you know changing the facts to make it sound like he knows something that he doesn't know, right? Versus Danny, it's an inter- interesting comparison in those first two episodes or first three episodes um then then we get what I think is kind of a quite funny scene which is Josh has really nothing to do because you know his focus is domestic policy and so when there's a foreign policy issue a military issue Josh has nothing to do and so he's just kind of like wandering around um you know and then eventually Don asks if he wants to like help her with the work she has to do and so he's like oh no i'm gonna go hide my office but it turns out uh mandy's been hiding in his office and um you know a great scene with donna where he says like donna how do you not know people in your office and he goes well first with cj like, i didn't actually know and now like with mandy i just don't care which is just like you know right okay donna, okay donna um but yeah mandy's in his office and mandy has you know she's gonna start working a week and so she, she's come to you know sort of get get sort of a lay of the land or get acquainted with what's going on. And, you know, so she, 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 she's, she's talking to Josh and she's like, you know, because you're not doing anything like that, means it must be like military because you're like a domestic guy. And, um, you know, so she kind of figures out what's going on. And then she, she she gives Josh a gift, which I think is a great gift. It's a picture of the two of them. And she has a drawn on his face with Sharpie. And she says, it's from the time when I hated you. Josh's response is great, where he says that could be pretty much any time, couldn't it? <laughs> Which is just like, okay, you know, obviously they did not have a very healthy relationship, you know, and you know, it's I, I'm not usually a huge fan of the like characters that are introduced as exes, but I but, but I do think that there's a bit of fun to be had here with um, Josh and Mandy in this uh, first season.
1: Absolutely, and I think it goes this, this scene goes even further to show that the. Perhaps part of the reason that their relationship did not work out is that these are two sides of the same coin. They, I mean, down to the same. They almost have the same haircut, right? <laughs> uh, these two people are so similar in their wit, uh, in their intelligence, uh, in their style. You know, they're they're exactly the same. And so perhaps at first that was fun, and then it quickly turned into um, a jab, uh, a jab for jab fight. That resulted in them just hating each other for a very long time, uh but this scene i it's it's entertaining, it's funny uh, and it's a little bit sweet and I'm excited to see more of them
0: yeah um all right then then we get we get into um sort of this, this this final set of scenes here where um they're in the Oval Office, they're getting ready for the speech, you know they've got the teleprompters are coming in and they're you know, reviewing the final draft of the speech and all these things. And the president is in, you know, what I kind of call rare form, right? He's just, he's just pissed off. He's yelling at everybody. He still can't find his glasses. You know, he keeps yelling like, Hey, I need my glasses. And, you know, I think a great part here is where CJ goes, you can wear my glasses. Like that's not how glasses work. Like, <laughs> who thought this was a good idea? Like, like there is, like these people that wear glasses are like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure your glasses will work. And then he puts them on, and he's like, oh, I can't see anything. Yeah, those aren't your glasses, dude. <laughs> like,
1: that's a very funny moment, and I also really liked his line. I believe it's in this scene where you know he's saying that he lost his glasses this morning. Uh, they could have had an optometrist in by now to to get him a, a new pair. Um, but then I also want to point out that in the same in the same breath, uh, the president of the United States who needs glasses to read has one pair of glasses. Yeah. Uh, and there is some shock in my mind that no staffer thought to order a couple pairs the last time he went to the optometrist. Or, if it was the president and I was doing it, I would have asked for about a hundred. Uh, yeah. I would have, as we learned later, landingham uh, Miss Lanningham is always handing him new pens. I would have had just as many glasses.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I own three pairs of glasses and I'm like a you know 24 year old you're old, not the president yeah who <laughs> if, if I can't read it's fine you know I, I didn't wear glasses to work <laughs> the other day it was fine I, I functioned just fine I'm not the president right and I, and, I, and I have three pairs of glasses right like why does the president have one that's yeah a little bit of like what's going on here um but we get we get just a great scene with Charlie where Charlie and Josh, are the first people to kind of realize where the president's glasses are. And so Josh encourages Charlie to, to speak up, to take credit. Right. And so what it turns out is the president is saying that he read the uh, report on the weapons last night with the secretary of defense in his private study. And they go, Oh, that's the last thing that he read was last night. And so Ms. Lanningham goes like, okay, Hey, tell, tell the porters to go into his private study, tell the porters to go get his glasses I think it's a, it's a great scene it's a great scene with with charlie right of him being like wait like i could contribute here right here's something i figured out you know this sort of secret that's been stumping all these people all day and a great scene with josh right of you know he 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 encourages charlie to take credit encourages charlie to speak up right is you know like hey like y- y- you figured out what's going on like you got to speak up but unfortunately um the president is so pissed off that he that he you know yells at charlie right uh, he says you know I don't have time for new people you know who the hell is this um and so and so and so leo finally takes president to his office and he has to sort of talk talk him off the ledge a little bit here right um i think leo has has a great line where he says you know you've yelled at everybody who works for you everybody who's married to you uh and now i'm worried that you know now you're going to start yelling at the american people and um i think it's just you know it's, it's another great scene with leo right of that you know We saw a little bit in his, in the last episode, right, of his job as sort of the president's attack dog when he's fighting the vice president. We saw his role as like the president's sort of information funnel, right, where he's, you know, funneling the information. And now we see him as his role as like he's got to manage the president as a person also, right, that, you know, he is the guy who knows the president almost the best of anybody, right. He's one of his longest lasting friends. And so it's his job to, you know, get him to focus up, get him to not be emotional. I think it's just, 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 you know, you know, a, a, a really good scene and an important scene of showing how important Leo is and like what his role is as a sort of people manager, right?
1: Right. This scene and the previous one go. Uh, they they do a lot in a short amount of time. Uh, we we see that Charlie is you know a fast-paced uh quick thinker that immediately notices or realizes where the glasses are uh he whispers that in josh's ear i really like that charlie's the one that notices right charlie's yeah. the one in this room full of uh of, of ivy league private school kids he's the one that realizes where the glasses are going to be
0: matthew in from the editing room here just wanted to, to hop in at this point because you may have noticed uh, throughout this episode me and especially mason um using, you know, private school and Ivy League educated as sort of like, you know, these these vague, vague insults or as negative things. So some important context for, for the two of us, I think, um, is that we both are public high school and, and state university people. <laughs> and so, you know, there's definitely some, some, some rivalry, right, of people that think that they're, um, you know, so smart because of that. Uh, it is kind of funny just without the context, right, of listening to it, of like, how kind of, invasive goes of being you know, proud of the public school kid but you know that's sort of i think the life of you know, of of us to some extent uh, anyways back to the show
1: he tells josh josh elevates him because josh knows that uh, if he didn't know before he knows now that this is the right choice for this position uh and then again we see as he said we see the president turn around and there's wrath within him he's very angry he gets very upset um and ends up getting angry at charlie Uh, But then the scene, you know, perhaps one of the most pivotal scenes in the whole thing is the way uh, that uh, the way that we see Leo handle the president. We see uh, Leo handle President Bartlett in a way that makes it clear that he's been doing this for a very long time and uh, teaches us exactly why Leo is the chief of staff, exactly why Leo is the right hand man to the president of the United States. It's because he knows exactly how to deal with him uh, and he really rails and back in. So that I thought was beautiful. Uh, and exactly. These two scenes do a lot with the amount of time that they have.
0: Yeah. Um, I think Leo has, has a great line here, sort of talking about, you know, the proportional response versus the disproportional response. Leo says, you know, you know, you can conquer the world like Charlemagne, but you better be prepared to kill everybody. Right? Like, yeah, you know, you, you could use military force, but you have the strongest military in the world but like you're gonna have to kill everybody if you do that right because like people aren't gonna like just let themselves be conquered right i think that that ties into the theme right that like yes we have to do the proportional response yes it's what we've always done yes it's there's some level of a cycle of violence to it and it's not perfect we're not going to solve the problems of the world but you know if we just invade every country in the world we don't like and we just you know do regime change everywhere that's not going to solve the problem either right you're gonna have to kill everybody because you know it's there's some people that are gonna hate you no matter what right and if you invade their country i be more people that hate you and um you know i thought that was a you know a great a, a great little line by leo there um you know finally finally bart uh, bartlett sort of you know comes to his senses a little bit right he realizes that the violence he has is not not good right there's a bad part to it Um, and you know he sits down and finally kind of collapses into the chair and he has um, a great line here where he says man when I think of all the work you put into getting me to run when I think of all you did to get me elected man I could just pummel your ass with a baseball bat (laughs) you know just of like wow you know sort of recognizing like this job is so hard this job is like overwhelmingly difficult and um, you know but the president has finally sort of come to his senses a little bit there.
1: Absolutely. It's a very difficult job and uh, Leo did a lot of work to make sure that he had it. So uh, it's a little bit of a gag there. Of course, uh, it takes two to tango, but uh, Leo might have been, you know, a pretty strong partner to get the two of them into the White House. Yeah.
0: Um, Yeah. Then they sort of make up, you know, you get the apology from President Bartlett and, um, you know, Leo shares the Bertrand Cole story. And I think that that was just a funny scene where he goes, oh, I got something to tell you. You know, he goes, Bertrand Coles, and the president goes, oh, I love anything that starts with Burk Coles. <laughs> you know, I just love, like, the idea, right, of, like, why this isn't, like, a big story, because it is. This guy's kind of like a joke backbencher guy, right? You know, but they tell the story, right? Like, oh, yeah, they're so patriotic that they're... If the president himself showed up, they'd kill him. You know, and the president thinks it's great, and the president finally realizes, he's like, hey, who was who that guy in there? And, you know, he's like, oh, hey, you know, if you want him, that's your personal assistant. And then we get... One of, I think, one of the best scenes in the entire West Wing, which is, you know, the, the the Charlie getting hired scene, right? Is that Charlie's out in the hallway and he's like, you know, and Josh is trying to convince him not to leave. He's like, you know, hey, this is a bad day. You know, I sh- it's on me. I, me, I should, shouldn't have brought you in. And the president comes out and he goes, hey, hey, Charlie, can I talk to you? And he brings him in. And again, like I said, he ties it in, right, that, you know, Charlie's backstory is his mother was a police officer who was killed by you know a sort of a, of a very dangerous weapon and you know very dangerous bullets you know i think bullets that you know pierce the kevlar and you know president Marlott ties it in right that it's like one of the main objectives that the president has is gun control and you know we'll actually that's you know the focus of next of next week's episode is 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 gun control right so it's sort of tying that in right of like hey you know it is our goal when congress comes back from recess to work really hard to accomplish this gun control legislation. And so, you know, that's why we want to bring you in, Charlie, because we know that this is an issue that matters to you. This is an issue that connects to you. And I think that it really, you know, goes that much further to making Charlie, who's already this great character, like that much more of a guy who you like want to root for, because you're like, now he sort of is in a position where he gets to work with the people that can hopefully prevent people dying like the same way that his mother died. and I think that that is such a noble cause to be fighting for, right? That I think is, you know, really ties the whole Charlie character together in one episode. I think, you know, you just get the perfect introduction to him.
1: Absolutely. And it shows again, time and time again, this series is really good at introducing characters. Charlie is no exception to that. I think that he is presented in a way that not only is he the everyman he's sympathetic, but he also has a chip on his shoulder now. He's gonna help this White House do things uh, that will make people safer, including people like his mother. Uh, and yeah, overall this this last scene is beautiful. It's heartwarming, it is emotional, uh, and it almost makes me forget. Like this is a perfect this is a perfect sarkin ending. It's exactly the kind of stuff that he's known for writing. It makes me really happy. Uh, it, it it fuels like this kind of urge to go out and do good. And it almost makes me forget that it is, you know, a cap, the, the cap on an episode where the president wants to kill a lot of people because of, uh, something very, not small, but, but something that was not necessarily the action of the people that he would have ended up killing, uh, and that he was acting out of emotions. Again, I've said this all already, but that all happens in this episode and it feels so strange to have this beautiful emotional end on something that, that, in reality, is kind of scary to think about when you think about the person that's in charge of the entire American government, yeah, or well, and, the, and the government, also the, the military.
0: Well, like I said, right, there is some level of, like, all's well that ends well is sort of the theme of the episode, which is, like, not really true, right? Like, this is quite concerning, and, you know, it would be, but, you know, in, in the universe of the West Wing, right, like... It's all okay because he didn't actually authorize the, you know, blowing up of the airport, right? And so, therefore, we're supposed to feel like all's well that ends well. Which, again, you know, not, not really true, but I guess, you know, the amount of nuance that we're going to get into, especially in season one of this show, right, is we're we're not going to delve into the nuance, you know, too much. or We're going to kind of d- dip our toes into nuance here and there. And, you know, there's still going to be a happy ending at the end of a lot of these episodes, um, one one thing that I did really like in the Charlie scene, um, right before the president starts talking, Charlie turns to Josh and says, "I never felt like this before." And Josh's response, it never goes away, right? Of just this idea that like this is for all of them like an incredible experience for them, and that something that is unreplicable, right? And that you see that these people you know can kind of kind of get addicted to the feeling, right? Of just like being able to make decisions and affect things that really have massive impact in terms of what happens in the world right and that that is something that's something that's going to be a be a theme of this uh show throughout the entirety of, of of the run of it i think um but yeah now it's time to get to who won the episode so i have i've got a couple honorable mentions first i think first honorable mention i think is leo um you know he really you know you see all the aspects of his job in this episode right he Helps make strategic military decisions. He manages the president as a person, as well as, you know, managing the staff, getting them to function highly efficiently. Um, Another honorable mention to CJ, I think, like you said, this is really the first episode where we see CJ in her element, you know, it's it's a CJ coming out party in a lot of ways. Um, But I ultimately gave the win to Charlie. Um, I think, you know, obviously, you know, he gets tired, Um, he you know makes a substantive contribution in terms of finding the president's glasses and he ultimately like i said he gets a job where he gets to focus on a policy that you know can save the lives of people like his mother and i think that it really again sets him up as this character that we love and that we root for and that we can relate to as an audience i think that it's just a great episode for him so who do you have winning the episode
1: sure i i I appreciate the charlie win uh and while i think there will be charlie wins in the future i didn't necessarily count this one i think charlie uh is kind of you know he's he's a reed in the tide in this episode he's definitely uh floating along by actions that are not altogether his own uh and so because of that i couldn't give him the win that being said Uh, I did end up giving it to one of your honorable mentions, and that is Leo. I think Leo got the win in this week's episode for me. Uh, We see him in control. We see him, uh, you know, riding the tide and going through the storm that is uh, the the Jed Bartlett administration here. uh, And we see him doing it well. He's in control in the uh, Situation Room. He's in control in his office. Uh, and he is kind of orchestrating what is, in reality, a very large uh, uh, you know, situation, whether it's the one in Syria or the one at home. So overall, I would give it to Leo. I think uh, he managed to act the best uh, and got the results that he wanted, and that's what I look for in a win. Uh, and so for Charlie, um, I'm happy that he's here, and I'm so excited to see him more. But not quite for me this week but i totally understand why you said it yeah
0: no like, like i said i mean i think that you know if you would have given the win to leo cj or charlie i think those all those all make sense right i think that they're sort of the the people that have, that have good episodes this week and um yeah no i mean and I, and I think you're right that like leo is the guy that prevents the disaster from happening right That he's able to step in and so yeah in terms of that it's a that's a good point um all right, do you, do you have any, any, any final thoughts on uh, on episode three here?
1: Episode three is a exciting uh, and scary episode uh, of The West Wing, and I think it is, much like the other two episodes, indicative of things to come. So I'm excited to see what happens next.
0: Yeah. Uh, next week, we've got five votes down, which is... Um, one of the one of the most uh, most 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 famous most uh, popular episodes. So that uh, that'll be fun as we uh, tackle the issue of, of, of gun control. Um, that'll be next week. Uh, see you then.